What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, we're ready to go. Fresh start. All right. Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here today. My name is Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Eden, and we're so pumped that you're with us this morning. Like Kayla said, we're starting a brand new series of messages, and if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we do these things called messages, and it's just a collection of talks that we spread out over the course of anywhere from four to seven weeks, and we talk about a theme in Scripture or a topic or a book of the Bible, and so today we're beginning a brand new talk called Level Up taking steps to grow your faith. And if we could have had a broader graphic and a more descriptive uh, tagline, we would have said, taking steps to grow your faith by trusting God with more. One of my favorite, I love church history. I love church history. I'm not saying I know a lot about church history, but I love church history. And one of my favorite people in church history is a guy by the name of William Carey. And I love William Carey because he was kind of like an underdog, right? Like his dad grew up making fun of him. He was super poor. And, and this, I think, is just mean on the part of historians, but, like, they remember him for being uniquely and particularly ugly. Like, if you read an account of William Carey, most times you're going to read about, like, how he was not easy on the eyes. Um, but there was this one time he had an opportunity to get before a, commu- uh, a, a committee of men who really controlled the resources of an association in England. And, uh, and he was just a young guy at the time, but he was ambitious, and he had vision for something bigger than what was happening in this organization because this organization for years and years and years would just pour their resources in serving their own community. But he had the, he had the thought, he thought, yes, we are a national organization, but what if we could begin investing resources beyond the scope of our own people and become a global enterprise? And so... He's, uh, he's a pastor, and he's standing before this committee of men, and he's giving this presentation. And in this presentation, he says this really powerful, powerful thing. He says, what if we started to expect great things, and we start to attempt great things? What if we started to expect great things from God, and we started attempting great things for God? When I think about this message that he was giving to this committee of men, who would someday say yes to the vision that he had laid before them. And today we actually remember William Carey as the father of modern-day missions. He's the one who had a vision for us to go beyond the scope of our own community and to begin sharing the hope and love of Jesus with people outside of our own cultural context. And I think about the power in these words, the vision in these words, and the thought about doing more with our resources. And I think that's really what this series is all about. It is all about about us having this mentality that we can continue to grow our faith whenever we choose to trust God with more. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, and uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the first half of the Bible, and it's really the origin story of the world and God's people and his plan to use those people to help redeem people who have been broken and lost and hurt in the process. And we're going to look at the true story of a guy named Nehemiah. He was a Jewish prophet, a Jewish leader. And Nehemiah during this time was living in the city of Susa in Persia. And you might ask yourself, what is a Jewish prophet doing in Persia? 
Well, 150 years before he begins to take this account of a movement that's happening in Persia, uh, you have the people of Israel who were in Judah who had been conquered by the nation in the kingdom of Babylon. And when Babylon conquered them, they destroyed the land, and they took all the people, they enslaved them, and they destroyed the temple. And their hope was to sort of squeeze out uh, the Jewish culture. But 50 years after Babylon conquered Judah, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And the Persians were kind of like the parent that's a little bit more lenient, right? They didn't care as much. I always think about like our kids, and I'm like, if my kids have any level of success in their life, it is going to be attached to the fact that my wife parented them, and it didn't come from any sort of parenting knowledge or principles that I helped to apply in their life. But that's what like Persia was. They were a little bit loose, and, uh, and they, in fact, allowed the people that they had conquered to actually maintain their culture. And so one of the things that they did for Israel is that they allowed for them to move back into the land and to begin establishing the culture. And so they started what they called the MEGA movement, Make Israel Great Again movement. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kanye West was wearing a, a MEGA hat. But there was about 50,000 Israelites that moved back into Judah to reestablish the culture. And that's sort of where we pick up today. We're going to be reading out of Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So you can imagine that Nehemiah was living in the heart of the Silicon Valley, San Jose. He had bought a condo at Santana Row. He was living the high life. He was drinking blue bottle coffee and eating at Fogo de Chao and Maggiano's every night, right? He was living this great life because, because Nehemiah actually was like this uh, somewhat prominent figure in this culture. He was the cupbearer to the king, and so that mean, meant that he had access, and he rubbed shoulders with a lot of really elite people, and, uh, and he really did well, and he thrived in this culture that was thriving economically. And so we see that he was living in the capital city, which was Susa, and, and all of a sudden, one day, some of his, his homies from high school show back up, and they were part of this movement that had moved out to Judah, but they came back, and when they reconnected with Nehemiah, he asked them, he said, how is everything going in Judah? And, and mind you, this movement has been going on for about 100 years. And so in Nehemiah's mind, he was assuming that there had been a lot of progress being made back in Judah, that things were being rebuilt, the culture was thriving, things were going well. And this is the, rest the response of Hanani, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. It says, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. A few days ago, I was on social media and I had a friend of mine who posted this really alarming post. He said, he said there's an active shooter at Great America. I just picked up my kids. It is chaos. If you have kids there, go get them now. Can you imagine having kids at Great America and hearing a report that there's an active shooter? Can you imagine maybe having family in a certain part of the world where you just heard that there was like this horrific natural disaster that had hit that part of the world? 
or that your family is living in a war-torn country and they're on the losing side of the battle. That's exactly what it would have felt like for Nehemiah to have heard these words coming out of Hanani's mouth, that people who he loved, people who he knew, people who were part of his family, connected to his community, were in the midst of this danger. And what Hanani's saying is not that they're just like going through this hard moment in their, their history, but actually that they are living in a culture where the infrastructure is down. He said that the walls had been destroyed. In the ancient world, the walls were like your ring doorbell, right? You guys know what a ring doorbell is? It's like a camera, and you can see kind of who's on the outside of the door so that if it's not someone you want to talk to, talk to you don't have to go and answer the door. But that's sort of how walls were functioning in the ancient world, that they had these watchmen who were posted on the top of these walls, and they would look out to make sure that, that the people inside the walls were prepared in case there was any army or any neighboring country that was coming to attack them. But when your walls were destroyed, you were like a sitting duck. If anyone wanted to attack you, you would get attacked. You had no defenses. You had no time to prepare. And so he heard this news that his family members and this community of people that he loved and were deeply connected with were in trouble. They were disgraced. The gates had been destroyed. And so this is how he responds. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he wept, he mourned, there was a sense of like this emotional shock in his life. When I was a kid and we were playing out in the, in the yard and in the neighborhood, my brothers, I had six older brothers, they were all mean, mean people, <laughs> evil people, if you will. And, uh, and one of the things that they would do to torture me, being the youngest brother, is when I would ride my bike, they would get a big stick and they'd throw it in my spoke. And you know what would happen. If you threw it in the back spoke, not a big deal, right? You'd, you'd kind of come to a screeching halt. If you threw it in the front spoke, it would kind of catch all of your momentum and throw you over, to, over the top of the bike. This is emotionally what is happening when we hear that type of news in our life. That's emotionally what is happening to us, that there's like this momentum and this progress that we're making. And when we hear that, this type of news, it sort of strikes our emotions, but I love how Nehemiah responds. It says that he fasted and he prayed. I wish that is how I responded to moments like this. How many of you wish that you could take back a text that you've sent before? How many of you wish that you could have, have prayed before you responded to a political statement on social media? How many of you wish that you could take back a few DMs? I know it. But it says that he fasted. And he prayed. That was his response. And so we might ask the question, one, what is fasting and why did he fast? Well, really, he was following this pattern that we see all throughout the Bible where when you fast, it's likely because there's a problem. There's an obstacle between where you are and where God has called you to go. And that obstacle is a God-sized obstacle bigger than what you can manage on your own. And so when you fast, you're fasting because what you are admitting is that whatever it takes to overcome this obstacle, I'm not capable of doing that. I need God's intervention. If you have a God-sized problem, you need a God-sized solution. Number two, there's usually a need for power. And what we learn in Scripture is that there is this unique power that we have access to when we pray and when we fast. There was one time where Jesus was with his disciples 
and they were trying to heal a boy who was demon-possessed, and they couldn't heal him. They had healed other people. They had cast out demons, but when it came to this boy, they couldn't cast out, and they asked Jesus, what was the issue in this scenario? And in Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said, this kind can only come out with prayer and with fasting. And so what it's telling us is that when we fast, we are gaining access to this unique kind of power that we don't have access to all the time. And so what is fasting? Fasting is when we are decreasing our physical consumption to increase our spiritual connection to God. It's any time that we are choosing to decrease our physical consumption to increase our spiritual connection with God. And what is happening in the process of fasting is that we are choosing to abstain from the fulfillment of our desires and replacing it with God desires. We're replacing our desires with God's desires, and we are choosing to trust him with more. We're trusting that God will sustain us, and we're trusting that God will intervene in our situation. And so sometimes we think about fasting as like we're starving, but in some sense, fasting is really feasting because instead of feeding our physical body, what we're doing is we're feeding our spiritual soul. And it's a posture where we're posturing ourselves to cry out to God and to receive whatever he has for us, to be more sensitive to the words that he's speaking to us. And that's where Nehemiah found himself. That when he heard of what was happening in Judah, he knew that the solution to this problem was bigger than what he could do on his own. And so he fasts and he prays. And part of what he prays is he recognizes in this prayer, we're not going to read through it, But he prays a prayer of repentance, and he says, God, I know that we have stepped beyond the bounds of your best for our lives. We have sinned against you, and because of that, we are living in the consequence of what it means to not follow God. What it means, we're living with the consequence of choosing to do life our way instead of doing it your way. He says, but you also promised us that if we turn back to you, if we humble ourselves before you, you will restore us and bring us back to where you always dreamed we could be. And he's saying, God, right now, we are doing that. I am doing that. Because what he knew is that he was going to have to trust God for something great. He was going to risk, in a sense, his career. He was going to risk his livelihood. He was going to put at risk everything that he had worked for in a foreign country to get to a place of prominence in a secular world because he was following God. And it kind of reminds me of someone. I can't quite remember their name. Oh, uh, Kanye West. Now, I don't know what you think about Kanye West, but I am so grateful for what God is doing in his life, and it is a powerful, powerful thing. But what you cannot argue is that he has risked his career to follow Jesus. Because of the message that he is now pushing out everywhere he goes, every interview that he's, he has, he is pushing out this message of following Jesus, being faithful to Jesus. And, and he has really risked everything that he has built up till that point, but he didn't care. Because to him, that's what it means to, means to follow Jesus, whatever it costs. And that's sort of what we're seeing happen in Nehemiah's life, that he's been faced with this obstacle in his life, and now he's ready to risk it all because what he's about to do is he's about to go to the king, and he's going to say, King, I need you to give me time off from my job to help 
to let me help my people that are suffering. Secondly, I need you to give me access. I need, to get, I need you to give me all of your credentials so I have access to anything that I need, any resources that I need. And third, I need you to finance this movement. And he was going to risk everything. But he did it because he believed that God had called him to that moment. And one thing that I find interesting is that sometimes it's those moments of disruption where God gives us direction. Right? It's those moments of our greatest pain that God helps us to really find our purpose. And I think that's what's happening in Nehemiah's life right now. And I think that really this is one of the key things when we think about how we grow in our faith. It is about living this risky type of faith. It's about us living sort of walking with God wherever he's leading us, taking risks to follow him. I remember one time when, when Kayla and I were making the decision to plant the church. It was really, really scary. We loved being in the community that we were in. It was a great church, great people. And when we felt like God was leading us to maybe take a step outside of what was familiar to us, there were a lot of questions. Number one, how are we going to pay to live in Silicon Valley? And one thing that I learned is that how many of you have experienced this? We, you know it's expensive to live in Silicon Valley, but then when you move here and you start paying rent every month, then you really get a sense of how discouragingly expensive it is to be out here. And so I remember at the time we didn't have hardly any churches committed to be partnered with us in this process. And, uh, and we had just sold our house. We had just sold our house, and it was a blessing. We had made some money on it, but, but we were wrestling. I was wrestling with the decision, do I tithe to the church that I'm at, or do I give to the church that we're going to start? And I remember being, like, torn between the two because I thought, oh, it's going to God either way, right? And, uh, and, and I remember praying about it. And Kayla had already made up her mind what we were going to do, but I wasn't quite convinced about it. And, and I remember just being nervous because this was the biggest gift and the biggest financial contribution that we have ever made before. And there was something inside of me that was just wanting to hold on to that check. And I remember we came to that moment. Actually, it wasn't a check. It was pressing the button on the computer to give it. And I remember like there was that inner turmoil in me. God, are we supposed to do this? I, you know, I didn't know what to do. And, uh, and, and let me just say this, that, that I think the greatest gift that God has ever given me is a wife who loves the Lord. Because when I'm weak, she was strong, and she will have, is the, kind of the guiding force in my life to always help me make the right decision. Uh, I like, she's Holy Spirit 2.0, and I appreciate that. But I'm so thankful that in that moment, we pressed the button, we sent it in, we gave it to our church. It was like a week later we were leaving that church, and I just remember, God, we could use that money so bad. And what was crazy is just a few days after we moved, we got news that a couple had given us money with the same amount of money that we had given to the church. And I want to be careful because I don't say that to, like, pat us on the back, but I also know that sometimes when you talk about certain principles that come from Scripture, you can't talk about how other people have been faithful. You've got to at least communicate in some ways how God has worked through your faithfulness in that moment. But I remember that that was a faith-building exercise for us 
because of everything that God was going to ask us to do in the future. That it's those moments where God will show up in a big way. And when we look at Nehemiah's life, we see that when he put himself in between the prayer and the promise, between the prayer and the provision, we see that God filled in the gap. And what was crazy is that the king responded to Nehemiah's request with an absolutely yes. We will give you everything you need to go back and to provide for this vision, to rebuild this community. And I love it. I love it because it is such a blessing to live in that space of faith. When I was in high school, uh, I had an opportunity to uh, be a part of a leadership team that met once ever, and it was, it was awesome. They took us out to Baylands Park. We, I lived here in Sunnyvale, went to school in Sunnyvale. And, uh, and it, was, it was an interesting experience because it was a team-building experience. And we would do all these team-building exercises. They would do like the trust fall, right? And my friend, uh, my friend let me fall on my back in front of everyone. But at the end of the retreat, what happened is they took us to this one final last exercise, and it was the faith jump. I don't know what it's called exactly, but it's basically where you climb to the top of a telephone pole, and you have all these pegs sort of sticking out from the side, and you climb up, you climb up, you climb up, until you get to the top. And this is where it's really the hardest part of the entire exercise, because what you have to do is at some point you have to make the decision where you're going to let go of everything that is holding you still and keeping you safe, and you're going to step up to the top. But what was funny is person after person would climb up. They wouldn't have a problem. It didn't matter what level of athletic ability they had. They would climb up to the top with a significant amount of ease, and we were all athletes. But this is where everyone got stuck, was this place right here where you had to let go and step up. And what you would see happen is that people struggled so bad to let go of the prongs that they wouldn't, they wouldn't even try to step up. They would just get so tired eventually and they would fall off. But that is where so many of us get in our faith journey. Like we get to this point in our life where we get scared to keep taking risks. We get scared to keep going forward in our faith. My kids are in a struggle with me right now. Uh, I walk fast, typically wherever I go. Our youngest son, Grayson, moves like a sloth. I'm telling you, it's like he's in slow motion wherever he is. Everything is just like in this constant state of slow motion. And it's frustrating when you're late trying to get them to school. And, and, and this is what happens. I'll start, I'll get him out of the car, I'll pick him up, put him down, and I'll start walking. And, and he'll say, wait, daddy, wait, wait, wait. And I'll say, no, you hurry. You run and you catch up to where I'm at. And you'll see us arguing all the time on the way to school. But this is exactly what it looks like sometimes with God in our life. That we have become so comfortable in some of the familiar settings in our life that we are afraid to take a risk for God. We're afraid to sort of put ourselves out there on the ledge. But what you'll notice is that those are the moments in our faith journey where God will work in your life the most. 
that when you put yourself in a position where if God doesn't show up, it's not going to work out. And sometimes we get in this rhythm in our journey and in our faith experience where we've become so familiar with all the things happening in our life that, that we just get scared to step out in faith. We get scared to put ourselves in these environments. But the problem with that is that if we always stay right here where it's safe, where it's comfortable, where we know we're not going to get hurt, we know that we're not going to get embarrassed, we know that we'll show up tomorrow and everything will be just like it was before. We never experience what it feels like to step to the top of the pole and take that leap and experience what it's like to be caught by God in the moment. That is the power of faith. And I wonder, when was the last time you trusted God with more? When was the last time you trusted God in such a way that if he didn't show up in your life, it wasn't going to happen? And I think some of us have given up on faith because we're living a type of faith that if you told Jesus about, he wouldn't even recognize we're living the type of faith that was maybe created by the American dream, where it's comfortable, it's safe. We show up to church on Sunday, we raise our hands, we go home, nothing changes about our life. We're not out there trying to help people. We don't care about where other people are at spiritually. We're living like this isolated, private, insulated type of faith. And that is no that is not a picture of the type of faith that we see Jesus promoting in the New Testament. And it's a safe, scared, fearful faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I think that we are getting into a season in the life of our church where God is asking us to have some risky faith. That God is calling us to have some radical faith, the type of faith that will constantly take you outside of your comfort zone. And see, the interesting thing is that God will grow your faith. Sometimes he does it through adverse circumstances that we don't choose. But in those moments where there are seasons of peace in our life, I think that God is challenging us to go to that next level. In some way to trust him with more. To trust him with your relationships. To trust him with your marriage to trust him with your children, to trust him with your career, to trust him with your life and with your finances and with your time, to say, God, I cannot carry what you have promised you would carry. And sometimes we think that it's harder to trust God, but it's actually not. It's only harder when we try to take back responsibility of the things that he said, when you trust me, I will carry. And I think that maybe some of us are at that moment today where it's time for us 
to move from here and to let go and to stand here and to trust what God has before us. And maybe for you, that is making that decision to trust Jesus with your life for the very first time. Maybe for some of us, that is us saying, I'm not going to have an isolated faith, but I'm going to bring my faith back into community. I'm going to get connected. Maybe for some of us, that's like, it's my turn, it's my time to become a contributor in this community. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be a part of pushing the mission and the vision forward in this place. And for others of us, that means maybe it's time for me to be sent out. Maybe God has given me a vision for this world and this community that goes beyond the life of what's happening, and he's calling me into a place where I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be a place of hope for people in this world. Maybe that's in my job or in my neighborhood or in my close-knit group of friends. But all we know is that in the intersection of faith in risk, God does great things. And I want us to begin as a community to begin posturing ourselves for what God has for us. And what we're going to do in the very near future is we are going to take that step of faith together. Next week, we are going to begin for the very first time a two-week fast. We have never fasted as a community of faith before, but we are going to step in because in a sense, we are reaching a milestone in the life of this church. We're reaching this place where we see God doing a powerful work and we want to jump on to what he's doing in this community. Some of you may know that as a community, we've been around for about two and a half years. And since we've been here, we have seen God doing so many amazing things. Every Sunday, this is a dream come true to celebrate and to be a part of what God is doing in this community. But over the last two and a half years, we have seen 91 people make decisions to begin following Jesus. And one thing that we said we never wanted to lead was a church where we didn't see life transformation happening. And we are seeing that happen nearly every single week in this community. We have seen 28 people go public with their faith through believers' baptism in this church in the last two and a half years. And that's pretty remarkable. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, the other thing that's been huge for us is that over the last several months, we have, as you can tell, have broken this thing called the 100 barrier. That's where we have collectively, on a regular basis, have been ha having services where more than 100 people have been a part of what's happening here at Eden. And that may not seem like a big deal, but what you need to know is that most church strategists know that 85% of churches never break the 100 barrier. And by God's grace, we have done that in two and a half years in the hardest to reach, the most unchurched city, uh, region in the entire United States. God has had his favor over this community. It's been exciting. But this is the really crazy part is that most of that has happened in the last nine months of this community. In the last nine months, we have seen so much life transformation. I go surfing every now and then, and I talk about it all the time, and the amount of time that I talk about it is inconsistent with the amount of time I actually surf. 
But what's interesting is that when you're out there in the ocean and you're trying to catch these waves, sometimes you'll have like this movement of a wave moving through the water, and you can work as hard as you can to try to catch that wave, and there's no way you're going to catch it. But other times you'll have a wave that comes along that catches you, and there's almost nothing you can do to get out of that wave. I really believe that we are on the front end of a wave of a movement of God in this community because we're seeing so much life transformation happen as a result of what is happening. And I don't want to say we're not working as hard. We're working a lot smarter than we used to work. But we really sense that God is moving, and so we want to tap into what God is doing. And so next week, next Sunday, we're going to begin a 14-day fast where we're going to ask as many people as are willing to step into that space to remove a distraction from their life and to step into this discipline where we're going to try to connect with God at a greater level. And what we're going to ask you to do in this time is to pray for God to create a movement, for God to continue the movement that's happening in this community. And we're going to ask you to pray for three things specifically. The first is we're going to ask you to pray for spiritual strongholds to be broken in this city. Because there are these spiritual strongholds that we are at war with all the time, and we want to go to spiritual battle. We've been talking about prayer today. We're talking about fasting, and we're tapping into this resource, this power as a community that we have access to. The second thing is that I want to begin praying for each other, that God would, would tear down the spiritual strongholds in our life. And I don't know what that is for you, but all of us have some of those things that keep us in a pattern of bondage week after week, month after month, year after year, and we are praying for God to break down those things in our life. And number three, we want you to pray specifically for this community as we try to tackle this next milestone in the life of our church, and that next milestone is becoming a self-sufficient organization. For the last two and a half years, we have been operating on the generosity and portion on the generosity of people outside of this community. They have been investing in us and giving us resources generously so that we can operate and reach this community. But we're getting into our third year, and this is typically when some of those resources tend to drop off. And so it's really exciting for us as a community that in this next year, we have the opportunity to say this is going to be our community this is going to represent who we are because of our generosity. And someday we have a vision to not just be a church that grows itself, but to be a church that plants other churches. That not just impacts West San Jose, but we're impacting Santa Clara and Oakland and San Francisco and the entire Bay Area because of the generosity that is coming out of this community of people. And so we are praying for that movement. But we, before we, we do anything, we want to come before God. And we want to ask God this very simple question, God, what would you have me do? What do you want me to do to be a part of the solution to this opportunity that we have in this community, to be a generous community? And one thing that we've noticed over the last nine months is that we have seen more generosity in this church than we have ever seen before. And what we're learning is that the growth of this church will always be tied to the pace of our generosity. The growth and impact of our community will always be attached to the generosity of God's people. And so this is something that we're stepping into together. We are in between the prayer and the promise. And so on December 1st, that service, we're going to celebrate 
every person who's decided to level up. And what that means in this community is that we're deciding to level up in our generosity. And maybe for you, if you have, generosity has never been part of your rhythm here at Eden, to take a step in that direction. Maybe that's $5 a month or $10. I don't know what it is. I don't care. But that we're trusting God with more of our resources. But some of us have been giving sporadically. We're going to encourage you to give consistently. Maybe you have given consistently. We're going to encourage you to give toward the tithe, to begin moving toward the tithe. And maybe you're a tither here at Eden Church. We're going to challenge you to become a sacrificial giver in this season. Because one thing that you'll know as you step into this generosity journey is that at some point on the journey, it becomes exciting to give. It is not a sacrifice. It actually becomes a privilege to partner with what God is doing in this community with our resources because we go to bed at night knowing that we are investing in something that will outlive my lifetime. And so we're in a season where we want to invite you to be a part of that process, to be a part of what's happening at Eden Church as we're impacting this community to live this risky type of faith. And so the way that we're going to do that, Mark and his team are going to come up and they're going to wrap up the service this morning. And all we're asking is that you would begin to pray with us. And we're going to give little commitment cards. We're not asking for how much or anything like that because we really want this to be between, to be between you and God. Um, and we want it to be something that we can give with joy in our hearts, with generosity, to feel like this is an overflow of what God is doing inside of us. And we're just going to ask you for the next four weeks to just pray. And say, how is God leading me? And some of you may come back and say, God's not leading me to do anything. And we'll say, God bless you. That's wonderful. That's, that's awesome. Uh, but there may be some of you that are at a season in life where God is saying, hey, this is an opportunity for you to level up and to trust God with more. To trust God with more as we see people's lives continue to be changed in this city. So let me pray. And we'll wrap up our time together. Father, we thank you so much for the model of faith that we have in front of us. Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be bold and to be risk takers. God, to go out and to trust and to know that God, when we are walking with you and anytime we put ourselves out on the line, God, you are going to supply for that vision. God, I thank you for what you have already done in this community. And I believe that God, that is just a tip of the iceberg. It is just a tip of what you can do through these lives and through these hearts, God, as you have moved in us so powerfully over the last two and a half years, and particularly in the last nine months. God, I'm praying that you would, that God, you would just continue to use us in a powerful way. God, that you would soften our hearts to the work that you're doing all around us. Knowing that everything that we give, every Every decision we make to participate in what's happening here, God, we are participating in something bigger than ourselves. God, I pray that at every season you would challenge us to live with greater commitment, to have greater faith, to live with greater risk, believing that you will always use it to make a difference in the world, but also to make an impact in our own hearts. God, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.